Welcome back to On Campus with Miss T. I'm your host, Miss T. I'm your co-host, David. And this is episode nine. Nueve. <laughs> Apparently, David has taken it upon himself to teach everyone how to say the numbers in Spanish. See. <laughs> sí. um, so yeah, this episode we're going to be talking about special education. Uh, it's going to be a very general, broad sort of overview because I feel like a lot of people don't know very much about special education, or at least in my experience. Yeah, I don't. don't. I learned more through you, but I probably would never would have, honestly, if, if you weren't a teacher. So. Yeah, and I think that it's kind of important just so that everyone kind of can relate to each other better. Like, that's kind of part of the whole point for me anyways for this podcast is for everyone to be able to understand each other better and to learn about each other more. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, for those of you who know me personally, you're probably thinking, finally. Because <laughs> um, special education is something that's very, like, close to my heart, I guess you could say. Yeah, you're passionate about that. But yeah, <clears throat> I wasn't really sure how to approach the topic, which is why I hadn't done it before. Um, but I guess just to start it off, we'll like kind of lay a foundation out. And then at least when we go into other topics, we'll kind of all be on the same page. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah. But yeah, before we get started, before we dive into that... Um, there was a couple of rewind topics or rewind things that I found to touch upon other topics that we had covered before. And one thing that I found was, and I think I actually mentioned this to you before, but there was an article in the Washington Post and it's called, A New High School Will Have Sleek Classrooms and Places to Hide from a Mass Shooter. So I, I, I'm pretty sure I had mentioned it to you before already, David. But it's um, a high school that's basically basing their, like, architecture of the building around a scenario with a mass shooter. Yeah. So they're designing it for that to happen again. Like, for that, yeah. Or if it does happen again, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. So a quote from the article says, Engineers in World War One dug through the earth to build serpent... Serpentine? 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 Serpentine, Serpentine trenches <laughs> born from horrifically clear logic. And then it goes on to say, that concept has been reinvigorated a century later in a sense for a Western Michigan high school to dampen the killing potential of a mass shooter. So basically, from what I understood in the article, there the hallways are going to be like... I don't know if it was zigzag or if it's, like, curved. I think it looks zigzag in the picture. Um, so that if there was a shooter, there wouldn't be a clear line of sight all the way down the hallway. So that way, like, the reasoning behind that is that you could hide behind walls and stuff. So if they're shooting straight, like, there will be a wall or several walls yeah. there to protect you. And then if there is a lot of people there, that person won't be able to aim at you because you're behind a wall. Right? Yeah, I think, I think it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. 
It gives everyone more of a fighting chance against the person with the gun, so. Yeah. Um, I think in the article it also said that there there's other things that they're doing as well, like, um, what was it, like, in the classrooms? Every classroom has, like, a blind spot. So if a shooter is looking in through, like, the little window in the classroom door, they'll look inside, but they won't see anyone in there because they'll be, like, hiding in the one little blind spot of the classroom. And there was, like, a couple of other things, too. But, yeah, basically the, like, I don't know, is that, like, the future <laughs> of architecture for schools now? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it sucks that it's like that, I guess. Like, yeah, it's, like, yeah, is that the norm now, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess at least they're doing something, right? Yeah. Something better than nothing. But it does suck that it has to be that way. But yeah, that was one thing that I found. And then I found another article. Um, This is kind of touching upon two of our previous subjects. Well, I guess just one. (laughs) Um, Which is like the emotional baggage and the stress that kids face. Um... But the article is titled Racism has a devastating has sorry, racism has devastating effects on children's health, pediatricians warn. And it's from the Washington Post as well, from August second. And in the article it says a study published last year in JAMA Pediatrics found an increase in teenagers' stress and worry about discrimination between 2016 and 2017. So basically, like, in more recent times, it seems like kids are more stressed out about being discriminated against or, like, people being racist towards them than they were before. I find that weird. I feel like... I guess, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the right word to say, like, they, I guess kids, uh, and come bottom line is they're more, what's, uh, softer, I guess, is the word to put it. <laughs> so, because, like, we all grew up with that, like, I don't know. So I've heard racist remarks growing up, like, it's just. Yeah, but I think it's, it's definitely different now. Well, I feel like it's getting it's always getting better, I would say, but... Not necessarily. I feel like before it was there, but now it's sort of like... Like open season, if that makes any sense. Because when I was a kid, it was like, okay, if people were racist towards you, it was obviously frowned upon. Right? Like, no one was ever like, oh, yeah, I agree with you. (laughs) Like, he is a beaner. You know what I mean? Like, it was never like that. And now I feel like that is the climate. It is kind of being more accepted now because of, like, all of the political stuff that's going on. I would say no. I disagree with that. I feel like it's... It is... 
I don't know, like you cannot be an open racist now. Like you'll get There's a lot of open racists. Well though. yeah, but but they've always been open racist. It's just now there's more of a platform. They were more closeted yeah. before. No, there's a, there's a platform now. Yeah, that's There's what I'm social saying. Media. Yeah, that's what I mean. But like, and that sets kind of like the standard for how people can be, if that makes any sense. I don't know. I disagree. I think it's. I feel like it was always there. You get me. I don't necessarily think it's been getting any better, but I think it was always there. It's just people were quiet about it. And, like, if you go to the store and, like, you're a racist, you don't say anything. But now, because of all of the social media stuff, because of all of the political stuff, now it's, like, they feel more comfortable being out in the open about it. No, I think you're just saying that because you're seeing all these videos now because everyone records everything now. It wasn't like that before. No, I don't even mean that. I just mean, like... Just regular stuff, like Twitter posts, Facebook posts, like, people, yeah, I feel it, like people are more it's, open it's about it. It's easier to get it everywhere, though, like, now. Yeah, that's my point. It is, it is everywhere now. So it, make, it makes everyone else more comfortable to be that way. It makes it more normalized. I guess. I don't think so, but... Okay, well, I think so. If you're racist, I guess you're more, it's more normalized, but... Exactly. <laughs> it makes you more comfortable to be racist out in the open. I think it depends on where you live. That's a big factor, too. Well, I think racism is anywhere, no matter where you live. But yeah, but it's... It is worse, I would say, in, like... I don't even know, more rural areas, I guess. Yeah, rural. Usually big cities, it's, like, very diverse. Like. Yeah, it's there, but it's, like, you usually don't feel like a super minority. Yeah. Power in numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. You're not alone, at least. But, yeah, I don't know. I can see that. I get it. I mean, but I guess it depends how far back you're going <laughs> in history, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, the article goes on to say teenagers who were more stressed were more likely to drink, smoke, or experiment with drugs. I can see that. <laughs> That's a typical high school thing to do. Not... Because you're stressed. There's a difference yeah, between yeah. trying something because you're experimenting and trying something because you're desperate to find an answer to your problem. Like, that's addiction. Like, that's, like, the road to addiction. Yeah. That's not just doing it for fun, just to see what it's like. So, sounds like you did a lot of that, Sandra. Which one? <laughs> doing it for fun I guess not a lot of it <clears throat> I had a very methodical planned out experimentation phases <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um, so the topic that was that was all I had for the rewind so we'll dive straight into the topic now so special education thoughts 
I did put out a thing on Instagram to see if anyone out there had any thoughts or any questions, but we didn't get any responses. So I don't know, which I find kind of odd because I feel like usually the people that I speak to don't ever know anything about special education or they have very wrong ideas towards special education. So, yeah. But yeah, what are your thoughts? Do you have any questions? Uh, so I guess thoughts, I guess, I don't know, I don't have like a lot. I guess like I'm guessing it's very different for each grade. Mm-hmm. Because you just do, you handle the pre-K side. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing when you're like, as they get older, like what would they do in high school? I have worked in special education, high school. Well, high schools and also high school classrooms. So, like, I don't know, what's their, I guess, lesson plans? Like, what do they, what do they, what do the teacher do for them? Well, what are the little goals that they're trying to meet? Yeah, they're very, very, very individualized for special education. I mean, um, I don't know if we had mentioned this in the podcast before, but I was a early childhood special education teacher for a while. And then I also worked as a paraprofessional for a few years before that. So I worked in a lot of different special education classrooms. But for preschool, well, for any classroom, you're supposed to individualize the lesson plan. But I feel like in general, they probably don't <laughs> do that as much. But um, <laughs> but for special ed, especially, you have to make it very individualized because they all have different needs. And they all have different skill levels. Okay. So even though usually classrooms are split up based off of, like, kind of their abilities, right? Like, there's um, moderate to severe classrooms. There's mild to moderate classrooms. And that's basically what that means is how much their needs are impacting their academic performance. So if it's something that's severely impacting their academics, then they're going to be in a severe classroom. Yeah. Um, But even then, every child will have a different disability or a different need. So they're each going to need their own, <laughs> their own approach to how you're going to teach them. So it does get very complicated, which is usually why special education classrooms have less students in them than a general education classroom, which could have, I mean, nowadays could yeah. have up to like 40 kids, right? <laughs> I was going to ask, like, how do they, I don't know, it has to be a really small classroom to actually. Yeah, the ones that I've been in have been small, usually like. Eight kids, maybe ten. I feel like that's a lot, too, for high yeah, schoolers. How many teachers and TAs are there? I feel like it's still a lot. <laughs> I think it is a lot, yeah. And it does get very overwhelming, especially if it is, like, a, a moderate to severe classroom where there's a lot of behaviors and each kid is having a different behavior at different times or at the same time where they're each triggering each other's behaviors or whatever. Um, but, yeah. 
You have to individualize it. <laughs> and then you have to try to give each of them some, like, one-on-one time. Because usually that's kind of how they work better. Yeah. If that makes sense. But again, it is very hard to to do all of that stuff. Yeah, because I worked with... Um, is that the correct term? Special ed? Well... What did you... It was adults already, right? Yeah, he was 21. So I don't know... That's another thing I kind of wanted to address. People, like, usually people think that people with special needs are labeled as, like, special ed. But special education just refers to the services that they're receiving. Uh, so it's like a, so, uh, okay, it's like a nickname that just kind of gets carried Yeah, over. like, oh, he's special ed. Like, no, he's not special ed. Like, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm guessing that the program... What was the program called? Or, like, what did you guys do in the program? Um, Essentially provide, like, living assistance. But mm-hmm. we're supposed to, like, treat it like if we're kind of mentoring them. Teach... I don't know if teaching is the right word, I like guess. Like a life coach type of thing? To get them to be self-sufficient. Like, that's what my so I guess told you... me. Like, pretty much, like, if we're doing a good job, they could do this themselves. Mm-hmm. And, like, so when I was working with my guy, like, I'd make sure, like, he'd do, like, like you know, like, make his tea. I'd, I'd help him if he needed help. But, like, for the most part, it was him doing everything. Mm-hmm. He just needed um, direction, I guess. Yeah. Needed. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Direction. But, I mean, I guess you would just call him, like, an individual with special needs or... Like, okay. if you have, if you know the specific, like, disability or whatever that he had, it was autism. you could say, like, an individual with autism I was helping, or I was working with an individual with autism. Gotcha. Okay. So then, I guess the blanket term special need, needs, mm-hmm. if you don't know. Yeah. It's not special ed. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so, I'm going to just kind of go over pretty general stuff that uh, in my experience people have either asked me about it or have like made a comment that was not accurate I guess so yeah one of the things that I hear a lot is like is special ed like oh special ed is for people that have autism or down syndrome or that are in a wheelchair like that's what people think special ed is no <laughs> <laughs> which i mean that's partially I accurate say i guess um but it i would say it's an incomplete statement yeah because the special ed program, like, if you're part of a special ed program, it's not just only for kids with autism, Down syndrome, or that are in a wheelchair. <laughs> or, like, like have mobility issues or whatever. Yeah. You know? Um, like, what would you think? Like, who do you think would be part 
of a special education program? Um, I guess essentially someone that's, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's like the right way to say it, like, their mental states, like, not all there, like, they can't, they need pretty much help or guidance or, like, direction with things, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know, I would say autism, obviously. I'm trying to think, I don't know what the other ones are. There's I'm a too, lot. I don't know a lot of them, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of eligibilities, but basically, um, it could be any sort of need that impacts or has, like, a very huge, like, impact on your academic performance. Right, so it doesn't just have to be, like, a mental <clears throat> thing, like, some kind of developmental delay or, like, you know, like, autism or, like, um, um, Down syndrome or something. Yeah. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. It can be something else, like, ADHD, anxiety, emotional disturbance. No, that can't be on. There's no way those kids end up with the special ed. There's actually, um, I don't know if anyone has, I'm sure people have heard of her. There was this, there is this lady, her name is Dina Blizzard, I believe. Um, her Facebook page, I believe it's called One Funny Mother, but she's the person that did that video where like they're going back to school and she's like back to school shopping. But she's complaining about people who complain about going back to school shopping, right? And she's, like, drinking in Target or whatever. Um, I think that her daughter has, like, really bad anxiety. And so she has an IEP because it, like, stops her from being able to, like, take tests or being able to, like, perform, quote-unquote, in the classroom, like, answer questions or whatever, Right, because she gets really anxious when she's put in those situations. Is she young? I think she's in high school. Because I feel like there's no, like, but I'm, oh, is she, I guess, I don't know, if I'm, I don't know. These are the correct terms, but like gen pop, she's with the gen pop. Or she's special ed. <laughs> well, you see, that is another misconception, right? So people, like... A lot of the times people think that special education just means that you're in a separate classroom with yeah. other people that have special needs. And that's not true. Okay. <laughs> I'm sick. There's no way there's a girl like, like, I don't know how to say this. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure that she is in a general education classroom, which I think is what you're trying to say. Yeah, because it meant like, <laughs> let's say I had like one of those... The anxiety thing, or you know, it had anxiety, but I'm like next to like if I'm in a classroom filled with people with like autism, like that's I don't know, I'm gonna feel like what the heck am I doing here, you know? I guess. Well, people that have autism can also be in general ed settings. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying like, uh, yeah, well, autism is very, there's many, I guess, levels to it or levels of how impact, I guess. Because, like, the guy I worked with, like, that was probably one of the most severe autism cases I've personally seen. So when I think of autism, I think of that. 
I don't think of like these Netflix shows. Yeah, and that's another thing like, that no, that guy was nothing like that. Like if he people, was like, yeah, people always think of like, like a typical, like it's kind of you're only associating it with whatever you've experienced. And yeah. I feel like a lot of people have not experienced a lot of, like, I don't know, people with disabilities. I guess. I think I think autism is pretty co- like I don't know if it's common, but you'll probably you probably. I think most people have probably met someone with maybe even a mild form of autism, but they don't they don't really know. Mm-hmm. They just probably think, oh, that guy's weird. Or like, <laughs> <laughs> but because in their head, they don't think of it as autism. They think he's being, he's being different. He's being eccentric. Or he could even just be, it could even be like a form of, I would think, almost being like blunt. Too yeah. blunt. Sometimes yeah. like, what the hell? Just like, like brutally honest. This guy's an <laughs> asshole. But then they, like, he, he might have mild autism or something he's just yeah yeah i get you yeah but yes anxiety can be apparently <laughs> um and i actually didn't know that either until i was i like i started following her um and she would post videos of her like like right after an iep meeting and for those of you who don't know what an iep is it's what does it stand for individualized yeah. education plan or something like that um, but basically, if you're eligible, you can get on an IEP plan, and it's like a, a legal contract, basically, between you and the school district. But, um, yeah, she would post videos of herself after the IEP meetings, and, like, just kind of saying, like, how hard it was, and, like, sometimes she didn't feel like she was being heard, or, like, they weren't trying to be, like that accommodating to her daughter's needs and stuff and she mentioned at one point that it was like anxiety like she had really bad anxiety and she couldn't like take tests and like she thought that it would be better if they did like an oral test instead of like a written test so if they just asked her the questions out loud and let her answer out loud then maybe she would do better or something like that but I guess they were being difficult or something but, yeah, so, yeah, that can be, I guess, depending on how severely it's impacting your Education. academic performance, yeah. All right, I like that better, academic performance. <laughs> but that's all that it depends on, and basically you have to kind of like um, like appeal it, I guess, get them to see the it's kind of, You would think if there's all these, like... You think they would have experience with this, so they just know everyone's different, and they have to, yeah, either cater to them. I don't know. I guess it's more work for the school, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, and I did kind of want to go over the referral process as well. So I guess it might be a good segue for like, how do you, oops, um, how do you end up? Usually, what people will say or what people will ask me is like, oh, well, how did they end up in special education? Which I don't really like that. <laughs> like the way that that question mm. is phrased just because it makes it sound like like they're being punished, yeah, like they, they ended up in there. prison yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, so special education is not some kind of punishment or like... 
a place where you get sent when you're not doing well or something. Nah, it seems like a good resource if you were yeah. to most parents, I wouldn't know what the heck to do. Yeah, it's it's a really good resource, I would say. And at least you'll start getting more, you'll learn more about what to do and what to look up at least and things like that. Then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of the times, yeah, like in general, people don't really know that much about special education. Yeah, and that does? includes parents. Right. So if your child one day they say, hey, we kind of have some concerns and then bam, like you have a diagnosis and an eligibility and your kids on an IEP, like you're going to be really lost (laughs) and probably really sad and really confused and a whole bunch of other emotions, (laughs) I'm sure. But yeah, I feel like people need to stop treating it like it's something bad that happens when your kids aren't doing the right things or something. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess if they're not. Yeah, not. Like, they're not being sent to special ed, like. Yeah. Like, you get sent to detention or to the principal's office. Like, they're falling behind, so you all have to go to special ed. Yeah, they're just, like, eligible. No, it just means... For it now. They're different, right? So they need help Mm -hmm. to teach them. Yeah, but the way that it happens to answer that question, um, usually it'll be the teacher or a parent that notices. Um, Sometimes it'll be a pediatrician if it's um, something more, like, genetic or something, right? Does that make sense? What do you mean? Like if it is Down syndrome, then it would be your doctor that notices and then the doctor tells you and then refers you to someone, right? Um, But if it isn't something that a doctor will notice, it's usually a teacher or a parent because we're the ones that spend more time with them. But so let's say a teacher notices, right? I would then bring it up to a parent maybe say hey like have you noticed your students doing this or that or whatever um do you feel like there's any concerns right and then usually what happens is the school psychologist will evaluate the student right or if the parent chooses they can have their own like outside of the school district person evaluate the child Um, For preschool specifically, we do a lot of like questionnaires type of things. Not the kids. The kids are not answering the (laughs) questions, right? But usually we'll kind of sit there with the questionnaire in our hand and like observe them and like fill out what they're doing, what they're not doing, like how they're (laughs) answering questions and stuff like that. Um, And there are certain milestones that you're supposed to hit at certain ages, right? So if we notice that they're kind of falling behind or they have fallen behind and the, like they haven't reached those milestones yet, um, if we have a reason for concern or whatever, then we turn in a referral to, um, to I believe it's to the mental health person. For us, it's a little different because it's like... Um, 
we work with the county, not with the school district. So we send the referral to like the county and then okay. they contact the parents and they evaluate the kid and all this stuff. Right. Well, so you just parents let them know, I think. Yeah. All I do is just let them know that I see a concern, but a lot of the times, like I, I guess I have to make it clear usually that I'm not a psychologist, <laughs> right? So I can't diagnose your child with oh, something. Oh, to the parents. I yeah. Like to the county. I was like, wouldn't they No, 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 know? to the parents. Because <laughs> sometimes the parents will like ask me like, okay, well, what, what do you think is going on? I'm like, okay, well, this is what I observe, but I would have to turn in a referral <laughs> so that a psychologist can evaluate your child because I'm not certified. I'm not a psychologist, right? I can't like diagnose your child or tell you exactly what's going on with your child, right? So all I can do is just look out for the signs, I guess, and then refer them. But that's pretty much how it happens. In the school district, you go usually through the school psychologist. and then they talk to the parents and then if there is an eligibility then they do like IEPs and stuff okay and then usually the teacher will be there the parent will be there um the psychologist will be there any sort of service provider like if they're receiving services like speech therapy if they're receiving speech therapy then the speech therapist will be there um, usually, a, a general education teacher will also be there, um, just Why? to kind of provide yeah. feedback, I guess, <laughs> or like, like ultimately the goal is for them to be in a general education setting, like for them to be able to be successful in a general education setting. So you always have the general education teacher there, so that they can kind of tell you what. Like, where they need to be, I guess. If that makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's kind of how the referral process works. But if it's a pediatrician or something, usually they'll refer you to a psychologist. Or a lot of the times they, they'll they refer kids to our program where I'm working right now. Um, Early, was it? Head Start. Head Start. And then... If we see something, then we'll send in a referral or they already come in with that referral (laughs) Um, or like an IFSP or something. An IFSP is like for for early childhood stuff. So it's when they're younger, they'll have an IFSP. And then once they get older, it's different in different states. I think in California, once you're like preschool age they switch you over to an IEP it's not an IFSP anymore but in Washington and Oregon I think it's up until kindergarten you're still on an IFSP or something because I have students that are still on IFSPs so I'm I'm guessing it's different (laughs) (laughs) yeah I don't know but um I mean the teacher but yeah So that's kind of how that works a little bit. But another thing I wanted to go over was 
all of those terms that I kind of just mentioned, right? Like IEP, IFSP, there's also 504 plans. Like, do you know what any of those are? Nope. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people don't. Um, and I kind of just went over IFSPs. I don't really know that much, to be honest, about IFSPs. I sh should probably know more. <laughs> but um, when I was doing early childhood special ed in California, everyone just had IEPs. I never really worked with IFSPs. So, yeah, and then now that I'm here, to, I'm a general ed teacher. I'm not a special ed teacher anymore. So I don't really, like, generate those documents anymore. It's the special education service provider that does. So I don't really know that much about IFSPs. But yeah, basically it's for younger kids when they're younger. That's when they have IFSPs. But IEPs, like we said before, is Individualized Education Plan. And that's like, like I said, it's like a legal contract between the parents and the school district. So within that document, like, you'll have a meeting right a meeting like i said with the the parent the teacher the special ed teacher gen ed teacher service providers principal um if you want the student can be there too usually depending on the age they will encourage you to have the student be a part of the process usually it's like once they're older and they can actually like speak for themselves on what they want I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, so everyone will get together and then you'll all go over like where they are currently as far as their skills go and where like you think they could be pretty soon, if that makes sense. So you set goals, but they have to be like attainable goals. It can't be like well, they're four years old, right? They are not potty trained. They can't feed themselves. So by the end of the year, we want them to be able to, like, I don't know, like, potty do trained. math. Like, you know what I mean? Like, something super complicated. Where it's like we're still working on the basics over here. <laughs> um, not that it's not possible. It's just that usually you want to keep them within like that sweet spot where they're being challenged but not overwhelmed. So you want to make the goals actually attainable for them. And usually it's like throughout the year you have goals and you keep making process progress but yeah anyways all of that is set up within the IEP and then also any sort of services or accommodations that the child will be receiving will be laid out within the IEP and since it is a legal document if the school district or that school specifically is not delivering on any of that stuff or you're not agreeing with anything that's on the IEP you can like fight it like as a parent. Um, Dispute it. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people don't really know that either. So if you 
are a parent of a child that's on an IEP, you have the right to dispute anything that's on the IEP. If you don't agree with it, you have the right to say no, that you don't want that. Um, and if they're not hearing you out, then there is legal action that you can take in order to make sure that your voice is heard and your child's needs are met. So, yeah. I think it's called due process or something. If you have to go the legal route, if they're really not, like, being accommodating to you. Let's say you do want something removed. What do they do to... Like, I don't get it. Like, like what would you remove... Do you have an example? Like, what do you mean remove? So you said, right, you can remove something from the IP or dispute it. Yeah. Well, it's a dispute. If you want something taken out, I guess, yeah. Let's say... Like what, wrongfully diagnosed with something? Oh, that would be kind of before the IEP, maybe. But you can always have your student reevaluated as well. So if you're not agreeing with the diagnosis or, like, I've had students in the past where they were diagnosed with autism, but later on I felt like they didn't have autism, right? Like, maybe it was just, like, they were really shy before, and so that's why they weren't talking, that's why they weren't, like, um, socializing with other people, or they didn't seem interested in socializing with other people. But now, like, they've come out of their shell, they're super social, they have a ton of friends, they're talking all the time, right? And so then I would talk to the parents first, see how they're feeling about it, and then, like, request that the psychologist reevaluate the student so that maybe they would change the diagnosis. Um, so that's kind of different, but... Something on the IEP that you would dispute, like let's say they want to place your child in a moderate to severe classroom and you don't believe your child belongs in a moderate to severe classroom. So then when you're at the IEP, if you hear them say that, then you can tell them, hey, I don't agree with that. And hopefully they would respond and be accommodating to what you're asking for, right? But if they don't listen to you, right, if they still make out the IEP and they still place your student in a moderate to severe classroom instead of a mild to moderate classroom or gen ed or whatever, then that's when you would dispute it and say, hey, like, I, I didn't want this, right? And if they're not listening to you. You can, like, I think, like, mail in complaints or something like that. Um, there's, like, phone calls and stuff that you can make first before taking the legal action. So if all of those things fail, that's when you go to due process. And it's kind of like you're, like you're suing them, I guess, sort of, right? Like, you have to have a lawyer and stuff. Um, and you're fighting for them to give you what you want so that they can change the IEP. So that would be something like placement, right? Like what setting they're placing your child in, which would be like 
moderate to severe classroom, mild to moderate classroom. There's classrooms specifically for students with autism or like um, emotionally disturbed classrooms as well where all of the students have that diagnosis. Um, and then they could also just be placed into a general ed classroom but with accommodation. So yeah, that's like placement. That's something that you could dispute. Or also the services that they're receiving if you want more services or something. Is this all school-based? Like, let's say you're a parent and your your kid has special needs. Like, you should kind of shop around, quote-unquote, like, for a better school, like, to see what fits your kid. Or are all schools the same? Well, for public schools, usually you just go to the assigned school. You can't move? You can apply for, like, open enrollment and stuff, but... Usually it's just whatever assigned school you have, but let's say you live somewhere, right? The city, like Portland or whatever. You live in Portland and that specific area that you live in, the school that you're assigned to doesn't have a special education program or it doesn't have like specifically an autism only classroom and that's the placement that you decided on within your IEP that's when they would take you to another school that does have the program that your student needs. Okay. So the IEP is good for like that too then. Mm-hmm. You're, it's a good resource for that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I didn't really think about that before to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the, the placement kind of, I guess, factors into what school you're going to go to as well. If, if they offer that at your assigned school or not. Gotcha. Oh, but another thing that we didn't cover earlier is like you were talking about grades, like different grade levels, right? One thing that I didn't really know until I went into the field is like special education classrooms are not individual grades. That's what I felt like when I remember in high school. Like, yeah, they were just pretty much the same. They were, like, all in the same class throughout the whole high school. Yeah, so there is no first grade special education classroom. Second grade special education it's classroom. Much they just move schools, right? It's It's grouped. So usually it's, like, kinder through second. So it'll be kinder first and second graders all in the same classroom and it'll be a special education classroom so again that's why it has to be very individualized because <laughs> not only is it different abilities but it's also different grades different curriculums different yes. <laughs> like everything right doesn't sound good <laughs> um but i think that the reason that they do that is because the population is so low so usually they don't have enough special education students to warrant having their own classroom for each individual grade. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, K through second, it'll be like eight students, ten students. If you separated them into their own grades, it'd be like one or two students in each classroom. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like not a lot of students. 
But yeah, I think that's why they do that. If I remember correctly. But yeah, and usually it'll be like third through fifth. And then in high school, I think it goes more by the subjects in middle school, right? <clears throat> the classroom. Then it does by the grades anyway. What do you mean? What? Like the subject. So like it'll be earth science, but you'll have ninth and 10th graders in there because it just depends on where that individual student is at. Does that make sense? Oh. So I think it's a little different in middle school and high school. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. Um, do you know what a 504 plan is? No. So a 504 plan is like if you're not eligible for an IEP but you still have a need then you could be eligible for a 504 plan which is like basically it's just like a a document that states what your needs are and what accommodations you can receive for that need right so like let's say i don't know like the anxiety thing right <clears throat> so if it's not super severe right like i can still function it's just every once in a while a specific test or something a specific subject will give me that crazy anxiety so then i can request to take the test in a different room away from everyone else or like get extra time to take the test or I don't know whatever you get me <clears throat> but it'll just be accommodations it's not like actual services that you're receiving necessarily how do they do they verify any of that or can you just like yeah it has to all be like like the psychologist has to approve it, kind of. Not approve it, I guess, just like diagnose it. I, don't I know. guess, yeah, diagnose it, or like that's how you get the eligibility. Like it has to go through a psychologist, and then they have to see a need. So, like, let's say, like I have anxiety, and I tell them I need extra time on the test, but I have straight A's. They're gonna be like, okay, well, you don't really need it, even if. So the psychologist does say that you have anxiety or whatever, right? Because there, it doesn't look like there is any sort of impact on your education if you have straight A's. <laughs> so they have to kind of see that you do need it, that it is having an impact on your academic performance. Okay. Which is where the teacher comes in as well, because usually the teacher will say like, well, I've noticed that they are having a hard time with this or that. They perform really well when we're just talking about it, but then when they do the test, they, like, completely vomit, right? So, like, something's going on there, you know? Gotcha. But, yeah. So, that's that. Is there anything else that you can think of? No. Not right now. Got nothing. <laughs> well yeah I guess we'll just leave you with that um, there is one last thing that I wanted to mention <clears throat> that I think it's like a very simple thing that 
just if people are aware of it, then it'll change the way that, I guess the way that we view people with special needs, but also the way that you treat people with special needs. And it, they make a big deal out of it um, within the special education community or whatever. Um, but it's a person first language. Have you ever heard of that? No. So person first language means that you're putting the individual first, right? Just like the name says, person first. So if I'm talking about you, right, it'll be like um, David, an individual with dark hair, right? Instead of saying that dark haired guy over there. (laughs) Does that make sense? So a lot of times people will say, oh, it's that autistic kid, right? And instead of saying that, you're supposed to put the person first before the disability. So you're supposed to say, oh, the individual with special needs, that guy with autism, right? So that it's not the disability that's defining the person. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's like a courtesy thing, kind of. Yeah, I guess. it. It's the way that you look at them as well, where it's like you're looking at them just straight up, like, labeling them. Like, yeah. No, like, you're it. autistic. Like, I'm, no, I'm a human being. <laughs> you know, like, so you're just thinking about the person first before you think about the disability and reflecting that within your speech, like, within the way you talk. And within the way that you treat them, within the way that you address them. Okay. So, yeah, next time that any of you are talking about someone with autism or with a disability, make sure you use person-first language. What if it's an insult? What do you mean? (laughs) Like... You shouldn't be insulting David, the... Well, I mean, if it's an insult, then I guess you don't really care about (laughs) being respectful in the way you're talking to them, right? I guess, yeah. (laughs) Do you with the (laughs) a-holes? Yeah. It's like they're seeing me as a person first. David, an individual (laughs) with an a-hole or what? No. An a-hole. Not with it. Anyways... (laughs) Yeah, person first language. And it's funny because when you're going to school and you're like taking the classes and stuff, if you don't use person first language like within an essay or a test or whatever, it's like an automatic fail. <laughs> what? Yeah, like, well, depending on your professor, I guess. But like, that's how important it is. Like, for you to have that like perspective or that respect. Yeah. Um, what I hate, though, kind of, I don't know if it's on the same boat, but, like, people who say uh, doctor, blah, 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 or, like, I hate when they want to put a title over their name. I'm like, I don't care about your title, man. Yeah, I guess. You're John. You're I mean, Dr. I guess John. if I was a doctor, like, if I went yeah. to school for that long, if I paid That's that you. much money for that crap, you. you better be called no, a doctor. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> no, I don't care. No, well, I That's off topic, but I don't, like, but that's them just tooting their own horn like i don't care i wouldn't yeah. I, I would tell you like i don't straight up i don't care like you're just gonna be a normal person to me i guess 
I don't know. I just always call my professors professor. <laughs> like, if I was writing them an email, I would call them by their proper title, right? But Not if like, I'm just talking to them, I'd just be like, hey, professor. Like, Yo, man. What's Yo, man. <laughs> no. Help your boy out. Supposed to have some kind of professionalism. But yeah. There's no professionalism when you're paying that much money for school. <laughs> yeah, there is. Because there's money involved. Of course, you have to be professional. But yeah, that's all we have for you today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if that's you, all, folks. If you have any other questions or if you think of any other topics. And I do want to cover this, not this specific topic, but others, special education topics in the future but um if you have anything specific that you want us to cover like maybe you have a lot more questions about autism or about IEPs or whatever um go ahead and let us know contact yeah. us i wouldn't to... even think i don't know if i'm speaking for you or not but if you have questions just email us i'm sure sandra will answer them mm -hmm. whether it's on here or just replying to your email and if she doesn't let me know i'll make sure she does <laughs> and if I don't know the answer, I'll look it up because... Well, just reply with a Google link. Search for it yourself. <laughs> Can you do that? Yeah. Just send a Google link? You send a URL, yeah. Hmm. But yeah, anyways, so let us know if you have any questions. You can email us on campus with T at gmail.com. That's ms.t. Um, you can let us know on Instagram. Twitter, IG, Facebook, at face. Snapchat, and it's all on campus with Misty. Snapchat. You could also comment on the podcast on CastBox. Yeah. I think you could do it on the app, too. Mm -hmm. If you have the app, you could comment on your phone. If you're listening to it on your computer, you could do it there. Yep. But yeah, other than that, that's it. Thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned next week for our next episode where we will be talking about pets and like educating your children and your students on pet care and how to treat pets and stuff, pet safety. Yeah, pretty much watch your kids with their pets because they pet too hard. And they're gonna I get feel bit. so bad sometimes. And it's their fault. Anyways, yeah, so tune in right. next time yeah. when we cover that subject. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>